0: Today on the Matt Wall Show, former NBA star Dwayne Wade has been parading his trans kid, quote unquote, around like a pet for two years now. But a new report reveals that the boy's mother is not on board with this transition, and she believes that Wade is doing it for money and attention. Imagine that. Also, the media comes up with its most absurd argument against voter ID yet. The White House tries to defend its secret social media censorship campaign. Caitlyn Jenner and Dylan Mulvaney get into a fight, and nobody wins. And a priest in Ireland is thrown under the bus by his own bishop when he dares to defend Catholic teaching during Mass. And you can't do that. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Inside Every Progressive is a totalitarian screaming to get out, and the team at Front Page Magazine, they've been unmasking these totalitarians since the earliest days of the internet. Founded by David Horowitz, a former red diaper baby, and new leftist who ultimately became an enemy of the left and a best-selling author, Front Page Magazine has spent over two decades combating the radical left's efforts to destroy America. Their two new podcasts, The Right Take with Mark Tapson and The Jason Hill Show, offer riveting interviews and insightful coverage of politics, culture, and current events. The Right Take with Mark Tapson uh, offers in fascinating in-depth cultural commentary as well as interviews with well-known conservative thinkers like Heather MacDonald, uh, Michael Walsh, and many others. The Jason Hill Show offers thoughtful deep dives about the ideologies of the radical left and intellectuals. interviews with intellectuals like Peter Wood and Bruce Gilley. It takes a, a village to combat the radical left's efforts to destroy America. That's why, as a fan of my show, you should also check out uh, these guys over at Front Page Magazine, you won't regret it. Go to frontpagemag.com. Dwayne Wade reached the end of his NBA career back in 2020. Uh, he had faded from the spotlight during the previous few years, bouncing from team to team, averaging about 11 points a game towards the end, which uh, isn't great in the NBA for his position, just so you know. When he finally hobbled into retirement, he faced the terrifying prospect of irrelevance. And it was at this exact moment when conveniently, his 12-year-old son came out as transgender. It's a very similar situation to like when Colin Kaepernick was right at the moment he got benched, he decided to become a social justice advocate. And for Dwayne Wade, right at the moment when he washed out of the NBA, he decided that uh, he was going to do the same. Couldn't have planned it any better, really. The moment his NBA career ended, he was able to make the jump into the very profitable business of social justice activism. In fact, his supposedly trans son, who he now calls his daughter... Um, brought him more attention and generated more headlines than he was ever able to achieve on his own, even during his prime playing days. So here's Wade, just to, just to reminisce for a moment. Here's Wade back in 2020, announcing his son's new identity to the world on the Ellen DeGeneres show, watch.
1: So once Zion, 12 year old, came home, um, and first Zion, everybody, I don't know if everyone knows, originally named Zion, Zion born um, as a boy, came home and said, hey, uh, so I want to talk to you guys. Um, You know, I think going forward, I'm ready to live my truth. And I want to be uh, referenced as she and her. Uh, I would love for you guys to call me Zaya. And so internally, now is our job to, one, go out and get information, to reach out to every relationship that we have. My wife reached out to everybody on the the, uh, cast of Pose. Um, and we're just trying to figure out as much information as we can to make sure that we give our child the best opportunity to be, you know, her best self.
0: That's his job as a parent, he says. His son comes home one day, announces that he's really a girl, and his job as a father, he claims, is to immediately accept this statement as fact, ask no follow-up questions, uh, and follow the lead of the child, blindly and without a hint of skepticism. Not only that, but the father's next task is to apparently go on national television and announce his 12-year-old's gender identity to the entire world. This is an important part of the affirmation process, you see. Not only do you unquestioningly affirm whatever he says, but you also have to put it on a billboard for the whole world to see. So that this identity that your child just adopted five seconds ago will now be set in stone, cemented in place. From this point, Wade would go on to become a prominent advocate of trans rights, and everywhere he went, he would be greeted with applause and adulation. You know, he was just a washed up NBA player before. He was facing a life as as an ESPN commentator, which is a lowly fate that anyone would be desperate to avoid. But now, with his trans child, he found himself accepted, celebrated, beloved, in the upper echelons of society, in Hollywood. Here he is on the red carpet earlier this year, and I just have to thank you cuz you've been amazing with your daughter. It's pretty incredible. What keeps you going fighting for her?
1: Um just being, you know, just being a father and just seeing my our child grow up every day and doing what you're supposed to do as a parent is to make sure that you sit back and, you know, you see what it is in life that they want to do and you try to go there with them and try to help them mold them into what it is they want to be and who they want to be. So we're just doing our part, you yeah. know, as parents. And uh, we love our kids, and we get to see them every day. That's what people on the outside don't get to see. But we know them, and we see them all the time. Yeah, so.
2: and we believe them when they tell us who they are.
1: <laughs> what do you say to a dad out there whose daughter has just come home and said, I'm
2: trans? What do you say to that dad?
1: Well, I say the moment when you were in the hospital and you grabbed your daughter and you looked at your daughter and all the things that went through your mind, all the emotions that went through your mind, and, and how much love filled your heart. At that moment, don't let that ever leave you, no matter what. Like, the one thing as parents, what we do is we find our mini-me's and we try to make them just like us. We just understand, like, our kids are going to be who they are. It's our job to help mold them and help try to, you know, push them in the right places that they want to go. But just remember that moment, what you said in that, in that hospital that day they were born.
0: Yes, Dwayne, remember that moment in the hospital when your son was born. Your son. The doctor identified him by You know, by his sex, all human beings are identified this way. And and that's who he was. And that's who he still is. So remember that moment. Take your own advice. At least that part of your advice. The rest of it is nonsense. He says that the job of a father is to, and I quote, sit back and see what they want to do and go there with them. Now, I'm not exaggerating when I say that this is the worst parenting advice I have ever heard in my entire life. It is quite literally the opposite of parenting. You know, a great way to parent would be to listen to what Dwayne Wade is saying and just adopt the opposite approach. Just do, do the reverse of whatever the hell he is babbling about. Because if I parented the way that he proposes, all of my kids would be dead right now. None of them would have made it past the age of two if I sat back and went wherever they wanted to go and did whatever they want to do. If that's how you're going to parent, then you aren't needed. You might as well just abandon your kids in a forest somewhere. Let, let them fend for themselves. Maybe they'll be adopted by a friendly pack of wolves. Honestly, Dwayne Wade's kids would have been better off raised by wolves than raised by him. You know, an, an actual parent, a real parent, is there to offer guidance and wisdom and insight and direction and correction. That's the job of a parent. That is what you are there for. And if your son comes up to you one day and reveals that he's confused about his identity... He is in desperate need of guidance and wisdom and insight and direction and correction. But he wasn't given what he was needed. Instead, his confusion was affirmed and then exploited. And that's certainly the case that the boy's mother, Wade's ex-wife, is making now in court filings from the Post Millennial. This was uh, breaking news yesterday. It says, Wade's ex claims that Wade has been exploiting Zaya, who, quote, came out as transgender at the age of 12. Siobhan Fuches-Wade has uh, now filed paperwork to ask a judge to hold off on the legal name change, saying that Zaya's modeling contracts and influencer deals are Wade's impetus for forging ahead with the gender transition. In the legal filing, Fuches-Wade states, I have concerns that Dwayne may be pressuring our child to move forward with the name and gender change in order to capitalize on the financial opportunities that he has received from companies. Wade, who has had full custody since 2011 when the divorce with Funches Wade went through, said in August when petitioning for the name change that the child's mother was only informed as a courtesy. Funches Wade fought for four years to retain custody of the children. Uh, she wants Zaya to wait until the age of 18 before making this change. She is the child of both Wade's oldest children and is concerned that Zaya is being pressured into the changes by the elder Wade, who is, quote, poised to profit from Zaya's deals and sex change. To back up her claims, Funches Wade said that She had a uh, conversation with Wade in April during which he explained the extent of the financial benefits of Zaya's sex change. She said, quote, "Uh, He told me that he intended to make our child very famous due to the name and gender issue and also informed me that there would be endorsements and contracts associated therewith. I am concerned, she went on, uh, that our child is being commercialized at a young age and also is of the uncontrollable consequences of media exposure, i.e. cyberbullying statements and or pictures taken out of context of our child and the unwanted spotlight focused on our child. So in other words, Dwayne Wade is an abusive, evil monster. And none of this is new. In fact, uh, the Dwayne Wade case is, is quite instructive. You know, it's, it's symptomatic of something, which is, like, and it raises a question, which is, why is it that celebrities are so prone to having trans kids. Have you noticed that? How do you explain the high concentration of trans kids, quote-unquote, in Hollywood? Dwayne Wade, Charlize Theron, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Jennifer Lopez, Busy Phillips, the list goes on. It's because uh, they use their kids as status symbols. And there is no way around that conclusion. In fact, even if it happened to be true that a kid could be, quote, trans and that their transgenderism should be affirmed, and both of those things are emphatically not true at all, but even if it was, it would still be totally indefensible to make your child's gender transition public. There's no benefit to your child in turning this into a public spectacle. If he's on a gender journey, as you say, and if you actually wanted to give him space to be who he is, as you claim, then uh, you, you wouldn't be crowding the space with cameras and microphones. The only possible effect of the publicity is to set this new identity in place. Now that you've made him into a leader, right, into an LGBT icon, and you've got the endorsement deals rolling in, and there's a lot of money on the line, and not only that, but in Dwayne Wade's son's case, like, he's making all this money, Dwayne, Wade doesn't have a job anymore, and so now I guess he's the breadwinner in the family, he's going to feel like he's not able to switch back or detransition or have a change of heart. And that, of course, is exactly why they do this. They are leading their children, it turns out. You know, I-, I wish that Dwayne Wade was merely sitting back passively and following his child's lead. That would be bad parenting, but not as bad as what he's actually doing. Because what he's actually doing is actively leading his son into self rejection, self loathing, deeper and deeper confusion. He has taken his son by his hand and guided him straight over the cliff, and profited from it the whole way down. It is again pure evil. He should be shamed for it, and disgraced for it, ostracized from society, arrested. You know this because this is abuse. But instead, all he hears is applause. Now let's get to our five headlines. you have a mystery smell in your home that you uh, just can't get rid of, you've tried candles and cover-up sprays, but nothing seems to work, the best-selling Eden Pure Thunderstorm Air Purifier uses proven Oxy technology that quickly seeks out and destroys any odor, whether it be for litter boxes, trash cans, dirty diapers, or cooking smells. Even if you don't know where the smell is coming from, the Thunderstorm will. Get rid of it in just minutes. Unlike candles and cover sprays, the Thunderstorm doesn't just mask or cover up bad odors. It completely eliminates them. Best of all, the Thunderstorm doesn't require any separate purchase of a filter. It plugs directly into the wall so as to not take up any floor space. It's compact. Uh, It's got a great design for traveling. Right now, you can save $200 on an Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack for your uh, whole home protection. You'll get three units for under $200, you get all of that. You can put one in your basement, bedroom, family, kitchen, anywhere you need fresh, clean air. So go to EdenPure. Um, that's EdenPureDeals.com. Use code mat 3 to get three units for under $200. That's EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code mat 3 to save $200 and shipping is free. All right. I want to start here just for a, a, a nice laugh. We are... Um, very much in the throw anything against against the wall phase of the election season. We've been in that phase for, I mean, like a decade or something. And so here is NBC warning about voter ID laws and how they might disproportionately impact, wait for it, trans people. Let's listen. As Gen Z gears up to hit the polls, transgender voters are concerned they might be blocked from casting their ballots.
3: Yeah, that's because a growing number of states are enforcing stricter voter identification laws that disproportionately impact the community.
0: NBC Out reporter Joe Yorkeba joins us now with more on this. Joe, good morning to you. So first of all, how can voter ID laws create obstacles for transgender people? And where do we see some of the strictest voter ID laws?
3: Sure, yeah. So voter ID laws disproportionately impact trans people because trans people are more likely to have IDs without the name uh, that they go by and the gender marker that reflects how they present. And recent research shows that just over 200,000 eligible trans voters in uh, 31 states that both conduct their elections mostly in person and require or request ID at the polls don't have IDs that reflect their gender identities and the names they go by. Um, And, you know, the states that have the strictest voter ID laws are are mostly concentrated in the South and Midwest. So you're, you know, Tennessee, Wisconsin, Kansas. So voters there are, are going to be most affected.
0: Hmm. Yeah, this is a fun game. You know, just spin the wheel and find out what trans people are disproportionately impacted by. Throw a dart at the board. And, uh, you know, trans people are disproportionately impacted by car accidents. Trans people are disproportionately impacted by tornadoes. Trans people are disproportionately impacted by uh, falling into volcanoes. Trans people are disproportionately impacted by death because when a trans person dies, they're really super dead as opposed to when other people die and they're less dead. So trans people are disproportionately impacted by everything. And and this is even sillier considering that you can actually change your gender and your name on your driver's license in all 50 states. You shouldn't be able to do that. Okay, if I was in charge, you would not be able to do that, but you can. So you can actually do that. So what we're talking about here are lazy trans people who want to identify as a different name and a different gender, but don't feel like filing the paperwork, like they don't feel like going to the DMV, um, but they also want to retain the right to be offended when they have to show their ID and uh, somebody uh, sees their biological gender on it, even though they chose not to change it. They could do it, they just don't feel like it because they're lazy, and, and, and that's, uh, that now becomes a violation of their rights. But I do appreciate this because it highlights, once again, how just completely absurd the voter ID complaints actually are. Um, The left has not been able to come up with an argument against showing your ID to vote. They're against it, but they don't know why. At least they don't have a public-facing argument. I mean, they do know why they're against it. They're against it because uh, they're, they're opposed to voter ID because voter ID makes it harder to cheat. And that's why they don't want it. I mean, that is the, that's that is really the only reason you could be against it is if you you want to cheat and it's going to make it harder for you to do so. But they can't they can't make that argument publicly. And so maybe eventually they will. We might get to the point where they are openly defending cheating because uh, on the basis that it's the only way to save democracy. So we're not quite at that point yet. So. They can't say that. So, that. so instead, they're left with arguing that um, black people don't know how to get driver's licenses and don't know where the DMV is and have no way to figure it out. And that trans people are traumatized by having to present an ID that they didn't feel like taking the time to change. And it's also a, a, a part of this very familiar pattern of trans people acting victimized by their own choices. So, the trans person says, Well, I have, a, I identify as a female, but it says, but I haven't, but my ID says male. And it'll make me feel bad to have to present that. What am I supposed to do? Well, I, I don't know. That's, that, I mean, that's your problem. That's your fault. That's, that's your own choice. There's like a series of choices that have led you. You chose the, to, to try to identify as a different sex, you chose not to get your, your ID changed. And now that's our problem. Like now we can't protect the integrity of our voting process because of this problem that you created for yourself. How is that my issue? It's the same thing when you hear from trans people that say, well, you know, that as someone, a, a trans person, a, a man, let's say, who uh, thinks anyway that he's passing as a female and because maybe he's gotten surgery or whatever and, and then says, well, look at me. You think that I should have to go into the men's restroom? How am I going to go into the men's restroom looking like this? I don't. That's your that was your choice. That's that's not my problem. I I don't know what to tell you. You you made the choice to you got the surgery. You're you're dressing the way you dress. That's all your decision. And so, yes, you have now put yourself in an awkward spot when it comes to the bathrooms, because you don't belong in the women's bathroom, um, but you would be a little conspicuous in the men's bathroom. I don't know what to tell you. It's not my problem, and it's not the problem, and it shouldn't be the problem of the actual women who are in their restrooms and don't want a man in there. So you're going to people who have nothing to do with the choices you made and expecting them to solve a problem that you created for yourself. That's just not how it works, or at least it's not how it should. It shouldn't work that way. Anyway. All right, some news on the free speech front. Elon Musk has uh, given more details about his plans for content moderation. He tweeted this, Talk to civil society leaders Jonathan Greenblatt, Yale Eisenstadt, Rashad Robinson, Jessica Gonzalez, Norman Chen, Derek Johnson, Ken Hirsch, and Sidney Benavides about how Twitter will continue to combat hate and harassment and enforce uh, its election integrity policies. Twitter will not allow anyone who is deplatformed for violating Twitter rules back on the platform until we have a clear process for doing so, which will take at least a few more weeks. Twitter's content moderation council will include representatives with widely divergent views, which will certainly include the civil rights community and groups who face hate-fueled violence. Okay, I'm not going to claim that the Elon Musk takeover of Twitter is a bust at this point. He just got in there. Um, It's very early, right? we need to give him time to figure it out so I, I can understand all that but this also isn't a good sign maybe we could say um it is a it's a bad sign because he had a little group chat about content moderation and hate fueled violence every single person in the conversation was a leftist every single one and not just like we're not talking about uh, Bill Maher-esque liberals, okay? We're talking about far leftists, every single one included. These are people with the ADL, the NAACP, other leftist advocacy groups. So he says widely divergent views, but the views uh, that, that are in that group there, they diverge on the spectrum between extremely left-wing and really, really extremely left-wing. Like that's that's the, the spectrum of divergent views that he's has assembled so far. And that is, um, that's pretty concerning. Now, again, still early. But it's something we should keep an eye on. And, you know, if you really want to hear about the impact of harassment and hate and um, uh, death threats and all of that on the platform, then you need to talk to conservatives. And especially, in particular, you need to talk to conservatives who have faced the wrath of the trans activists. Because the trans activists are Far and away, without even a close second, the most vicious and vile people on social media. Um, and there is just no rule of decency or and no law that they respect or will abide by. They just do not care about any of that. I know this from experience. Um And, and, you know, it's like people are always talking about the, 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 you know, people are always talking about death threats. Anytime a a leftist says anything, it's a little bit of criticism. I'm getting death threats all over the place. And, you know, maybe in some cases they're right, but I I think very often this is exaggerated. What I can tell you, though, is that death threats, death wishes, you know, things like that, doxing and all of that. When I talk about that from the trans activists, it is 100 percent not an exaggeration. This is just it is guaranteed to happen when you go up against these people. So if you're really interested in having a uh, uh, having a full conversation about this problem, you need to bring people in who've experienced that part of it. And so far he hasn't, but hopefully he does. Meanwhile, the White House responded to the Intercept report about uh, DHS using social media companies to suppress speech. And I guess we could call this a response, such as it is. Here it is.
3: There was uh, reporting in the Intercept okay. about opportunities for the federal government to identify uh, for social media companies different posts that contained uh what was perceived as misinformation about the origins of covid the vaccine uh, other things as well you know such as you know ukraine or the u.s withdrawal from afghanistan
2: yeah i so um look i'll say this um the the administration um the Biden administration remains fully uh, committed to our mission to protect the sec- the security and resilience of our um, of of our you know elections and safeguard election infrastructure that includes combat combating disinformation. That is something that uh, we are committed to. Um, you know, we work to protect that, uh, f- uh, protect Americans from disinformation that threatens the homeland, including malicious efforts spread by foreign ad- adverse ad- um, adversaries. Uh, Ah, adversaries sorry pardon me mm-hmm. began before the disinformation governance board was established in fact some of that work uh, began before this uh, administration so uh, you know I want I want to be very clear that cross-agency work continues to this day uh, don't want to don't want to get a, ahead of uh, of anything else this is a Department of Homeland Security so I would refer you to them so, so you
3: are flagging uh, misinformation as I, I don't
2: have anything more to add okay. this is a department of, of Homeland security that this I would refer so, to the- adversaries.
0: Got to watch out for them got dang adversaries. You know, we've talked plenty about why the government shouldn't be in the business of uh, policing what it deems misinformation or disinformation. But I want to point out one other thing, which which I'm not sure if uh, if we've really taken note of to the extent that we should. So you not- notice the confidence on the left. They want to give the government and governmental agencies this this power over information to decide to decide what is misinformation, disinformation, and then to suppress it, which is just a, a profound uh, power that they want to grant the government. And the government's already granted itself this power, so they want to do this, and they're not worried about what'll happen if Republicans take over the government. They're not worried about if Republicans win in 2024. I mean, think about that. They, they tell us that Donald Trump is, uh, is, a, is an existential threat to democracy. He's a fascist. He's Hitler and all these things. And they're also very worried that he'll run and win in 2024. And yet at the same time, they are expanding every moment the, the scope and power of the federal government knowing that Donald Trump might be in charge of that in a couple of years. So how do you how do you make sense of that? That they aren't worried about these powers being used against them. Why is that? Well, for one thing, for all their talk about fascism, you know, they actually know that Republicans wouldn't do many of the things that they do. Okay, so they they know that even if Republicans could they wouldn't go behind the scenes to social media companies and give them a list of leftist talking points and leftist ideas that they want erased from the internet. They, they know that Republicans aren't going... That They know that's the kind of thing that only they will do. So that's part of their confidence. The other thing, though, is that they know that they, as leftists, are so deeply embedded into the system, into the government, into these agencies, that it doesn't matter... Who's in the White House or who's in Congress? They know that. I mean, we, we saw that in 2016 through 2020 with Donald Trump. You know, he had the entire federal government against him. And so it almost didn't really matter what he did or what he said. It's While they were doing all their hand wringing and being chicken littles running around saying the sky is falling, it actually didn't like matter that much. And then when Donald Trump left, whatever, whatever. I can't even say that we made that much progress was even made, but whatever progress was made, it was all just reversed immediately. It's just four years, wiped out about five seconds. Partly through executive orders and also partly just because the, the federal agencies were always in the hands of the Democrats. The only thing they couldn't reverse are the Supreme Court picks. Although they, they would like to, they're trying to dilute that by expanding the court or you know abolish the Supreme Court and of this nonsense. That was the only thing they couldn't take away. Everything else just, boop, it's gone, just like that. And, and they know that. And so that's that's the confidence that they, that they have. All right, I haven't mentioned anything about this. There's this, uh, maybe you've heard about this cat fight between two uh, males, Dylan Mulvaney and Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, a little background on this. Mulvaney did, and I'm not even going to play it for you uh, because even I have my limits for the grotesque things that I'll subject you to. But he did one of his grotesque, ridiculous "Days of Girlhood" videos, where he talked about going to the store in tight pants and having a bulge. You know, because he has a penis, because he's a man. Um, uh, it, he wants to be a woman, but his penis was visible through his shorts, and this is what he, he was doing a video about this. And he said that um, this is why we have to normalize the bulge for women. That was his. Uh, uh, that's his. You know, campaign slogan. That's the banner that he's marching under. Now, Jenner responded to this by saying, let's not normalize any of what this person is doing. This is absurdity. And then in a follow-up, he said, he's talking about his penis. Which, I mean, pointed to the obvious there. Thanks for that, Jenner. Now, this led to lots of outrage on the left and, uh, you know, because Jenner is calling it absurd, but also because Jenner, quote, misgendered Dylan Mulvaney, referred to him as as a guy. Um, and Mulvaney responded to that. We'll play a little bit of, of uh, this. This, is, this one's a little bit safe. I don't think you start talking about his bulge here, but you never know with this guy. So let's watch a little bit of this.
3: Days of transitioning. And remember being embarrassed about your body or having strangers give you dirty looks. That's why I made that video, because I was embarrassed and I wanted to reclaim my body in a positive way. And now you've taken that and you've turned it into something really ugly. And I didn't start days of girlhood because being a woman sounded fun i started this series because of the unspoken shame of being newly trans i still have so much to learn and we come from very different generations and you're so much farther along in your journey than i am. but i have cheered you on from the second you came out, truly. And I'm so happy that you've had the surgeries that you've desired, but I'm 25 years old and I am on day 233. I can't even get bottom surgery right now if I wanted to. I haven't been on hormones long enough. And this whole situation makes me not wanna share my surgical plans because there are so many trans women who don't have access to it or they don't want it and it, it doesn't make them any less of a woman. You know, funny enough, One of the only things that we do have in common is that I'm going to one of your surgeons. You know, I'm just, I'm not as far along as you. Please be patient. And you know, now that I think about it, I I don't even think I have interest in getting to know you because the way you use your platform to publicly degrade me, it, it told me everything I needed to know about you. And uh, a trans person invalidating another trans person's transness is pretty evil in my eyes. Like the call is coming from inside the house. It's coming off very selfish. You know, is no one else allowed to be trans? I, for one, am excited to welcome anyone into our community because I know how isolating it can be. In this whole situation, it feels like the movie Mean Girls. I mean, Halloween is right around the corner. So there's a costume idea for uh, us, I guess. I don't know. I, I digress. But you've been accepted, like you've been accepted by a group of people that clearly does not accept me. All right, and nearly them. every day. Uh,
0: yeah, it's very isolating. It's very isolating for for Dylan Mulvaney to be a girl, supposedly, for forty five seconds, and uh, to be uh, greeted with you know adulation and applause and cor- corporate sponsorships and brand deals and 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 you know. Invited to speak at women's summits. Very, very. It's very. Feels very isolating and alone. You know, isolating alone to be an actual woman, maybe. I, I could, I could see that as being isolated, making you feel isolated and lonely. When, when you're an actual woman, and you've been living as one because you are one your entire life, and then this guy comes along and just jumps to the front of every single line. Well, yesterday, Jenner responded by apologizing for misgendering Mulvaney. He tweeted, An individual on Ms. Jenner's team haphazardly misgendered Dylan in the tweet he is talking about his penis. For this, we deeply regret the comment and have taken the appropriate actions to rectify the situation internally. Ms. Jenner has no further comment on the matter and uh, stands by her statements otherwise. Right, someone on his team. Well, he is on his own team, so I guess that's accurate. You see, um, once again, this is why Caitlyn Jenner never should have been embraced by conservatives. Because that's the real like story here. And, I, and I've seen some conservatives respond as defending Jenner. He deserves no defense. Really, this is a story about the moron conservatives, the idiots who embrace this guy. And they just look dumber and dumber every single day never should have been embraced by conservatives. He is not a good advocate on this issue, or on any issue, but especially on this one. Okay, to use the leftist terminology, he is not an ally. So these idiot conservatives think, well, if we have a trans person come in and uh, criticize the trans agenda, well, that, that, that that's the Trump card right there. That's the ace up our sleeves. No, that's that's the last person who can criticize the trans agenda. Is someone who's actively promoting it. You know what it's like? It's like um, if you want to do a news segment, if you want to do a, a television segment about the problems of drunk driving, and so you have someone come on the air who is currently drunk and drove to the studio, and you have him come on to talk about the danger of drunk driving. That is the worst advocate, or that's the worst person to, to talk about this issue, it's, especially if he's talking about it by, you know, you have this, this drunk bastard coming on uh, Criticizing other drunk people. Okay, hey, this is not someone you want to you you want to have. If if you want someone to to, to come on TV and uh, you know extol the virtues of moderation, it shouldn't be an actively drunk person. Now you want to bring someone on who is a recovering alcoholic, used to be an alcoholic, has has uh, gotten past it and is recovering and can talk about retrospectively talk about. Uh, what it was like to be an alcoholic, uh, you know, as someone who experienced it and got past it. That's different. Just like if you want to talk about if you want you, you, you want to talk about the transgender agenda. Yeah. And br- bring on a, a trans person, someone who was in that life and managed to get out of it and can talk about it again retrospectively. Um, th- well, that's a great advocate. But not someone who is actively in it right now. And promoting it, which Jenner is, refers to him in, himself in the tweet as Miss Jenner. Because you know what? You're putting the other side in a position where they're right. What Dylan Mulvaney said there, most of that is like basically right from from, from Caitlyn Jenner's perspective. He's right about that. Because basically what he's saying is, wait, wait a second, if you get to be a woman, like why can't I? Like wh- Where do you come off calling me a he? And yet you expect us to call you she? How does that work? He's, he's actually right about that. That's what a brilliant advocate uh, Caitlyn Jenner is. He puts us in a position where we have to, he gets into an argument with a guy like Dylan Mulvaney and Dylan Mulvaney is right. He, he, put, he gives this, this, be careful the words I use. He gives this individual the opportunity to be right about something. That's how terrible Caitlyn Jenner is. That's not going to stop. Yet yeah, he's a Fox News contributor. It's going to stop Fox from bringing him on. The worst possible person. All right. Uh, what else do we got? There's a few other things. We have to get to the comment section in a second. Um, I also wanted to, maybe I'll mention this. Uh, Yahoo has this story. It says, we, we've heard a little bit about Happy Meals recently. There's been a, a little bit of Happy Meal talk on this show for whatever reason. Happy Meals have entered the culture war. Not that I want them to, but that's just the way that it's worked out. So Yahoo reports, hot on the heels of the Boo Buckets promotion, McDonald's announced the release of its new Happy Meal toys, figurines based off characters from Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which heads to theaters November 11th. There are 10 toys in total, all of them characters from the new Marvel movie. Uh, These might seem like ordinary toys, but... They continue a quiet theme that has run through all of the fast food chain's recent promotions. Representation. Very important. It's very important to be represented by a Happy Meal toy. Because that's what we all look for in life. You know, that's what we want to see. That's how we find uh, our own guiding light in life is in a Happy Meal box. And it can be very traumatic when you pull the toy out of the Happy Meal box and you don't see yourself reflected in it that's what I want. When I get a Happy Meal for my children, I want to make sure that I am personally reflected in the Happy Meal toys themselves. In its announcement of the new Happy Meal toys, McDonald's explains that the Wakanda Forever lineup gives everyone the chance to see and celebrate their inner hero. The first Black Panther movie set a whole new standard of representation on screen. And now we're excited to bring that experience to our restaurants and help fans see and celebrate their inner hero with this new Happy Meal toy. Because seeing is believing. Jeez, good God! First of all, why, I, I I cannot understand. I'm, I'm being somewhat rhetorical when I say that. But why are we pretending that Black Panther was like the first movie with black people in it? It is this, this desperate attempt to turn it into some kind of um, uh, some kind of historically significant glass ceiling breaking moment. It, what? Have, have, have you seen no movies in the last 40 years? What are you talking about? It's not even the first black superhero. So what? It, what is the significance here exactly? Uh, and then on top of that, too, it's just you see how like everything is designed to encourage narcissism. You know, it's like you, you can't enjoy anything for its own sake anymore. It's always about yourself, even right down to damned Happy Meal toys and stupid superhero movies. Because what, what's the marketing promotion here? It's Well, it's all about celebrating you and your inner hero. Why, why would Black Panther be about celebrating you or your inner hero? Isn't Black Panther about the character Black Panther? Aren't you watching it to see that story unfold? But no, you're actually watching it so that you can see yourself as the hero on the screen. It's really all about you. So you're not enjoying a story anymore. No one enjoys the story. Um because really it's all about themselves. And when you watch a movie, it's, it's like you want to you, really you're just staring into a your reflection in the mirror. Everything is everything is focused back to the self um, It's just uh, every part of it is ridiculous, but at least as far as I know that these are these are happy meals for kids anyway, so they've gotten away from the adult happy meal thing, although I'm sure there are plenty of adults who go and disgrace themselves by buying these things uh, Let's get to the comment section. Uh, Let's see. Hi, I've been watching your Daily Wire show for a while. Today was no exception. You rightfully canceled Anne Hathaway, but I want to offer this as a concept. When I was a state representative, we debated abortion. I posed a question the other side couldn't answer: Uh, If you're wrong on abortion, what does that get you? And if I'm wrong, what happens? Of course, the answer is: If I'm wrong, you have a beautiful baby. Yeah, this is what I've called the Pascal's Wager of the abortion debate. You know, Um, because uh, it's if, if we are wrong. About the abortion issue, and we succeed in stopping abortion in many places, which we have, then the end result of our wrongness is that lots of people are living who would not otherwise have been allowed to live. that's, That's the end result of us being wrong. It's also the end result of us being right. But if the other side is wrong, right, the end result is that millions of human beings are dead. If they're right, So if the pro-abortion side is right, then that that means that a bunch of clumps of cells were discarded and it doesn't mean anything if they're right, which they aren't, but if they were. But what what I'm saying is that if they're wrong, the consequence of their wrongness is mass slaughter on an unthinkable scale. So worst case for the pro-life side, if they're wrong, is that there's a whole bunch of people that that lived and and wouldn't. Worst case scenario on the pro-abortion side is that you've got, uh, you've got, the Holocaust times 10, you know, that's happened over the last several decades. And this argument is important because even the most hardline pro-abortion people will usually admit a certain amount of uncertainty. They don't know when life begins. They're not going to say when it begins. They won't answer that question. And they always just, remember Barack Obama infamously said, it's above my pay grade to answer that question. They all give an answer similar to that, which means that even according to them, they could be wrong, which means that they by their own logic they at least could be supporting promoting encouraging the mass slaughter of human beings which would be reason enough to be pro life that's that's the interesting point here is that you don't eat you don't need to have a firm answer on when life begins to be firmly pro life now i do have a firm answer but you don't need to all you need to know is that it's at least plausible that life begins at conception. It's at least plausible that life begins at conception, which means which, which leaves open the door of possibility that if you support abortion, you are supporting uh, genocide. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't I don't want I wouldn't want even the possibility that I'm supporting genocide. Let's see. Bradley Williams says. Matt, as a black man that grew up in the hood in the late 90s and early 2000s, I appreciate you covering this topic because gangsta slash street slash trap rap music has been a problem in the last 30 years since the rise of Death Row Records in the early 90s. White liberals literally told us and forced us to believe that this is black culture, and it's not. Uh, Another similar comment, Sins Witty says, I got lost in hip-hop for years. Having an absent father, I gravitated towards the anger and pain of 1990s rap. I became obsessed with it. Started rapping and adopted the culture. I still love hip hop, but only as a fully functioning adult. Do I understand the issues with diving too deep into an into an angry source of art? You have to listen and learn from mistakes that they're making in their music, not following their footsteps. By the way, I'm still an ill rapper. Um, yeah, it's anger. It's it's not just angry music, and and you know, rap was not the first uh, example of angry music to come along, obviously, but. It's angry, it's degraded. Uh, and that's not the case, like, you know, it's not the case necessarily for every single rap song that's ever been made. Uh, because at its, at, its, at its fundamental level, I mean, rap is, you know, supposed to, I suppose, be poetry set to music. That's what it's supposed to be. It's very lyrical, it's beat heavy, and, and that's, uh, that's what it is. And there's no reason why that, you know, performing a song which is very lyrically heavy and um, there's a beat in the background. There's no reason why that is like inherently immoral or something. Of course, it's not. Um, but that just makes what what rap has become. It just makes it all the more uh, outrageous and infuriating. Going back to the first comment, like it doesn't it doesn't need to be this way. It didn't have to become this. There's no reason why it has to be this. But this is the decision that was made, and it was made at uh, at the highest levels, you know, in in the music industry. Because this is the most profitable. This is what they could sell. This is the culture they could sell. Uh, Eric Wade says, love your show, Matt. I watch every day. A year into marriage, my wife and I learned that she was medically incapable of conceiving or bearing children. One of my coworkers said uh, that he would have filed for an annulment because he couldn't consider himself a real man if he hadn't sired children. I didn't find him particularly impressive as a person. He was a career desk jockey and his kids were nothing special. They're probably all majoring in gender studies as I write. I enjoyed your testosterone blinkered blue pill normie reminder, Matt. It's always amusing for a 30-year veteran like myself who faithfully served his country in some of the world's most awful places to be told that he's not masculine enough, so I guess I might as well shave daily from now on. Apparently, I'm not man enough to crawl among your sweet baby gang. By the way, the term manosphere was coined by mostly apolitical thought leaders in the early days of uh, men go their own way. It simply refers to men in a context that doesn't focus on women. OK, Eric, see, this is what frustrates me, because if I if I if I make a general statement and then I say that there are exceptions, because there are, of course, exceptions to most general statements. And if you are an exception, then why are you offended? If if you look at that and say, well, that's not the case for me. OK, well, then it's not the case for you. <laughs> I didn't I didn't say uh, Eric Wade. This is this is true of Eric Wade. I I, no, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. And so, if I'm making a general kind of observation, which is that most men are called to the, vo- the the vocation of fatherhood, but not all. You know, if that's the general statement I'm making, which I, I mean, would, do you even disagree with that? Would you disagree, or do you think that a majority of men should not be fathers? So you're, you I mean, are you advocating for like essentially the extinction of the human race because that's what it would be? So I assume you don't advocate for that which means you agree with my general statement, yet you're still taking offense. Why? I then said that even men who are not called to have biological children are still called to a life of paternal service in some other capacity. So you've, just, you've skipped over that part of it. So in fact, I, yeah, I do think that every man is called to fatherhood. For most men, that's going to be fatherhood in the traditional biological sense of the term, but not for every man. There are, there are other ways to be a father. Um, I gave one example, which is the religious life. It's not the only example. But that's what every man is called to do. A life of paternal service in some capacity. Which is just another way of saying that no man is meant to live a life entirely focused on himself and serving only himself. No man is supposed to live a life like that. Now, you're telling me that you uh, have a 30-year veteran, so you obviously have not lived a life like that. A life that is focused entirely on serving the self. So, again... It's all the more reason why you're, why uh, you, uh, you know, you you fall into the this the this, the, the second general statement, which is that, that all men are called to a life of service. So I, I'm just not sure why what, what the issue is here. Um, okay. Kim says this logic can be applied to all media, including action movies. Not everything has to be about the culture war. These young men were tragically murdered simply for being at the wrong place and time. Well, that's strange, and it? it's a weird coincidence, isn't it? Rappers are constantly at the wrong place in the wrong time, while country stars are like they never have that problem. Pure luck, I guess. Or maybe the genre openly advocates criminality and violence and the rappers themselves live lives of criminality and violence in a culture of criminality and violence. And that's how they so, wind, so often wind up in the wrong place because the entire culture that they exist in and have helped to create is wrong. There's that possibility. And finally, Lady Studio says, write a book about violence. Thumbs up. Write a movie about violence. Thumbs up. Write a country song about violence. Thumbs up. Write pop songs about violence. Thumbs up. Write rap songs about violence. You're glorifying violence. Rap, rap, rock, and metal are the only genres deemed unacceptable when they have lyrics about violence. Well, this is just really stupid, I'm afraid to say. First of all, as we talked about, um, these forms of media are not all created equal. They are different, and they, they affect us in different ways. You know, a song can totally change your mood in like 90 seconds, okay? Th- that's how quickly it works. A book can't do that. Even movies and shows can't do that to the same extent. I mean, they can affect your mood. Any, kind, any form of media can. But, but uh, they're not going to do it as quickly and efficiently and with the same kind of power that a song does. And I'm not just talking about moods here, um, but I'm simply pointing out the power that music has to sway us, to move us, and it's silly to deny that. Also, these rap songs, they're not just about violence. Okay, Over the weekend, I watched All Quiet on the Western Front on Netflix, which is a, an excellent film, highly recommended, and it is about violence, at least in part. It's about World War I and the hopeless brutality that these young men endured. It, it's, it's about that. It um, shows that, it portrays that. It's not promoting it. It's not glorifying it. Quite the opposite. It's actually an anti-war film. and you, so you don't leave the film itching to go jump into a you know a trench and get into some trench warfare. You don't leave it feeling like World War I was a fun romp in the sun. The film is about violent events. It portrays the violent events. It doesn't promote it, okay? What about these rap songs that we're talking about? Well, they actually actively promote the violence. They try to make it seem cool. The rappers are bragging about their violent exploits, the crimes they commit, and so on. Kids are um, they're, they're, kids are not going out to emulate German soldiers in World War One. They are, in fact, emulating rappers. And they're at, emulating everything about them. The way they dress. The way they talk. Um, they do what they do. They carry themselves in the same way. They adopt the same sets of values, emulating every aspect of them. Why? Because, again, music is extremely powerful. It it gets right to the core of of a human being. It sways and it moves people in ways that other forms of media don't. And the rap industry, again, generally speaking, has used this power to actively, explicitly glorify the worst forms of human behavior. So that's the difference. You know, now that it's officially November, some people believe that they've, um, they have now immediate authorization to begin Christmas festivities. I could talk about how wrong these people are, but regardless of how you feel, there is no bad time to give a gift as long as that gift is from our store, and especially if it is a walrus. You all saw the transformation I underwent when I received mine going from a broken husk of a man to the cheerful, optimistic, wildly approachable social butterfly that you all know me to be today. Well, you can have the same transformation if you go to dailywire.com shop to bring home your very own cuddly walrus or spread the love and get a second for a friend. Speaking of Christmas, Christmas is usually December 25th, but this year it's coming early because not only is a red wave going to wash over this country and save it from the tyrannical left, but there's also a ton of new Daily Wire Plus content for you to enjoy, starting with new episodes of Jordan Peterson's new series on marriage. This episode is all about negotiating, or I should say learning the proper way to negotiate, Candace Owens also has a brand new episode of her show, Taboo, featuring special guest and multi-platinum selling musician MIA. You'll hear uh, about her rise to fame and being canceled for speaking out about vaccine mandates, among other topics. Then there's Ben Shapiro's Sunday special, releasing uh, this Sunday. Ben sat down with Tennessee Governor Bill Lee to chat about school choice, fighting through COVID policies, his experience on a women's health clinic board, and and much more. Last up tonight at 7 p.m. Central, Daily Wire Plus is releasing the documentary film My Dinner with Trump, which is behind the curtain. It's this behind-the-curtain look at the former president and his closest advisors as they dine together at his private club at Bedminster. Um, regardless of how you may feel about the man, this is truly Donald Trump, as the media would never show you. And certainly, nothing like this exists or has ever existed on the right. So yes, it's a huge week here. And if you're not yet a member, there's never been a better time to join. Go to dailywire.com Walsh to become a member today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. You know, various saints in the early church are credited with declaring that hell is paved with the skulls of bishops. Uh, St. John Chrysostom was even more descriptive. He wrote, the road to hell is paved with the bones of priests and monks, and the skulls of bishops are the lampposts that light the path. Now, his point was not that all leaders in the church are bad, but rather that they are called to be very good, to be virtuous and noble, and if they fail, if they don't live up to their calling, if they choose cowardice and corruption over courage, then the consequences for the flocks that they're misleading are dire, just as the consequences we can assume that they will personally face at Judgment Day will be dire as well. And I thought about that Chrysostom uh, quote yesterday when I read about Irish Bishop Ray Brown, who is the subject of today's Daily Cancellation. The story begins, as Roger reports this week in The American Conservative, With an old priest named Father Sheehy um, in the Diocese of Kerry in Ireland. Father Sheehy stood in front of his congregation over the weekend and said that churches need to start talking about the reality of sin. And he then mentioned certain sins that have gained mass approval in society, including promiscuity, sex before marriage, homosexual sex, transgenderism, abortion. Uh, Here's the relevant portion of that sermon.
4: What is so sad today is you rarely hear about sin, but it's rampant it's rampant and we see it for example in the legislation of our governments we see it in the promotion of abortion we see it for example in the in the example of this lunatic approach of transgenderism we see it for example in the promotion of sex between two men or two women that is sinful that is mortal sin and people don't seem to realize it but it's a fact it's a reality and we need to listen to God about it, because if we don't, then there's no hope for those people. And so God is also telling you and me today, look, you have a responsibility to seek out those who are lost. You have a responsibility to call people to an awareness of the fact that sin is destructive, sin is detrimental, and sin will lead us to hell. When we, when we honor the saints on the first of this coming month, We honor people who are saints. Why are they saints? Because they repented and because they sought forgiveness. As somebody said one time, heaven is full of converted sinners. And so today God says to us, I have come to call sinners. But if you don't admit you're a sinner, then you're not listening to my call and I can't do anything for you because it's a two way street. Now there are people you see who won't like to hear what I'm saying. But the day you die, you will find out that what I'm saying is not what I invented, it's not what I came up with, it's what God is saying.
0: Well, that was all very uh, Catholic. Uh, It was a completely accurate summary of official Catholic teaching on sexual morality. But if we've learned one thing, it's that a Catholic church is no place for Catholicism, especially not in Ireland. And that's why Bishop Ray Brown responded by immediately throwing his priest under the bus and groveling for forgiveness from those who were offended to encounter Catholicism in a Catholic church. Brown posted the following statement to the uh, diocese website. He said, I am aware of the deep upset and hurt caused by the contents of the homilies in question delivered over the weekend. I apologize to all who were offended. The views expressed do not represent the Christian position. The homily at a regular weekend parish mass is not appropriate for such issues to be spoken of in such terms. I regret that this has occurred while a parish pilgrimage to the Holy Land is taking place. The gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is a gospel of love and ever proclaims the dignity of every human person. It calls on us all to ever have total respect for one another. This fundamental Christian teaching was beautifully proclaimed in the Book of Wisdom at Mass last Sunday and in the second reading and in the Gospel of the Beatitudes at Mass today, November 1st, the Feast of All Saints. I quote the three passages. uh, And then he quotes them. Yes, you love all that exists. You hold nothing of what you have made in abhorrence. You spare all things because of all things uh, are yours, Lord, lover of life, you whose imperishable spirit is in us all. That's wisdom. Think of the love that the Father has lavished on us by letting us be called God's children, and that is what we are. And then blessed are the gentle. They shall have the earth for their heritage. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. Okay, so let's let's start by reiterating a basic point. Agree or disagree with the sermon? The fact remains that it was fully in line with Christian teaching. Contrary to Bishop Brown, the priest was indeed articulating The Christian position. If you don't want to hear the Christian position, then you should not be in a Christian church. Nobody is forcing you to be there. You have not been dragged to church against your will or marched in the doors at gunpoint, right? Those who allegedly experienced deep upset and hurt by a basic articulation of biblical principles deserve to have their feelings utterly dismissed, okay? It's like going to a steak restaurant and then complaining because the menu isn't vegan. You can't expect an establishment, whether it's a restaurant or a church, to accommodate your demand that the establishment abandon its core mission and purpose for your sake. You might as well go to a scuba diving instructor and insist that he teach you how to pay- play guitar. Doesn't make any sense. Speaking of guitar lessons, this reminds me of a Ricky Gervais joke that uh, James Corden actually stole this week. Gervais pointed out the absurdity of people who come to your, your page on Twitter and get offended by the opinions you're expressing there. As he remarked, it's like, it's like getting offended... By a notice on a bulletin board advertising guitar lessons because you personally don't want to play guitar. Okay, well, if you're not interested, then just move along. Why is that so difficult? Bringing it back to the church for a second. The problem in so many churches today is precisely that they have done nothing but accommodate churchgoers who don't want to be at church. Now, it's one thing to welcome those who are skeptical or dubious or hesitant, that we should do. It's another to drive Christianity out of your church just so that you can attract people into it who hate Christianity. You've just defeated the very purpose of welcoming them in the first place. So you could brag about, oh, we got them in the door. Well, so what? You got them in the door for what? You have nothing to offer them. And also, you're not actually getting them in the door this way. It's not even working. You have expanded your church, supposedly, by abolishing it. You haven't just opened the doors wide. You've torn down the walls and you've invited the stragglers to come stand in the rubble with you and sing Kumbaya. But of course, this is how it works on the left. They are not satisfied to let Christianity be Christianity. They have to rip it down, destroy it. As Ben Shapiro says, they are transgressives, not progressives. Though I still kind of like the term progressive because as I've often said, leftism does progress in the same sense that cancer progresses. It eats away, it poisons, it destroys. As to the rest of this uh, weakling bishop's pathetic self-flagellating statement, you know, he says that mass is not an appropriate place for these issues to be discussed. He's wrong again. Couldn't be more wrong. It is the most appropriate place for them to be discussed. The congregation sitting in the pews They've lived each day of the preceding week in a culture of sin. They've been surrounded by sin. They've been inundated with messages promoting sin. They live in a society that carries out a constant assault on virtue and, and goodness. You know that, That's the reality that they're dealing with every moment of the day. We often hear that pastors ought to meet people where they are. And yes, I agree. And that's where they are. They are living in the muck and the filth, trying to keep their head above the surface. This reality needs to be acknowledged. It needs to be confronted. It needs to be dealt with. What good are you as a leader? What purpose do you serve? Who do you serve if you will not do this, if you won't help your flock navigate the world that they've been given? And what about love and dignity, as the bishop mentions? Yes, it is our job as Christians to love people and to defend the inherent dignity of the human person. Well, you don't achieve either of those goals by leaving people to flounder in their sins. You certainly can't preserve human dignity by ignoring some of the most insidious attacks on human dignity that the world has ever seen, like abortion or the trans agenda, which is waging a nuclear war on human dignity. A person who rejects their own identity, who rejects themselves, also rejects their human dignity because a person cannot have dignity without first having a self. And the trans agenda, the leftist agenda in general, teaches him to deny his self. Not deny himself in the way that Christ calls us to, but deny his selfhood, his identity as a self in favor of some imagined new self that can never actually be attained. So yes, the priest was not only speaking truth and outlying Catholic teaching, but he was performing an act of love and service and defending the human dignity that cowards like Bishop Brown have long since surrendered to the spirit of the age. And that is why Bishop Brown is today canceled. That'll do it for us today. Uh, Talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day. Godspeed.
2: John Bickley here, Daily Wire editor-in-chief. Wake up every morning with our show, Morning Wire where we bring you all the news that you need to know in 15 minutes or less. Join me and my co-host Georgia Howe for daily coverage of all the biggest stories on Morning Wire.